welcome everyone to another episode of, you know, actually, uh, we have a big change on the horizon because, I don't know, uh, Warhammer 40k, kind of cringe, honest, kind of cringe, so we've actually decided to just scrap all of it, the whole Warhammer 40k thing, we're getting rid of it, and instead... We're doing true crime and alien discussion podcasts. Been workshopping a little bit of a name. Been work oh, also ghosts. Been workshopping a little bit of a name. I think instead of Adeptus Ridiculous, we could be like truly ridiculous. Hmm? Rolls right off the tongue. What Any the fuck is this? What? <laughs> it's just this is what we're doing now, man. This is what we're Adeptus doing. Adeptus Detecticus for one. Ooh, that's and a good two. One, dude. That's, that's, when you that's when good. you told that's, me to fucking good. get up this morning mm -hmm. for an April Fools episode, mm -hmm. you couldn't have at least done like Sigmar or something. You had to Sigmar. You had to go. No, no. Warhammer yeah. in general is so cringe, dude. War. It is. That is the truest thing you've said so far. It's so cringe. Just leave all that behind, dude. We're, Why are we doing true crime? Well, because it's fun and it's interesting. And today's particular episode, it happened. Th uh, this happened. It's a thing that happened. It's not some fake little, you know, tall glasses, slanesh, big boobed alien waifu blue towel bullshit. This happened. It's a real you thing. Know. You don't know if that's not going to happen or not, okay? Well, that's Warhammer's true. in 40,000. We have many years to find out. That's true. We do, we do have many, many years to find out. But this stuff is already... We know this stuff has happened, but there's just some mystery and intrigue to it. Thought you'd like a change of pace, you know? I, I'm I'm not ready for today. Mm, I'm, mm, mm. I'm, op I'm operating on low sleep post-alcohol hangover, and I'm going to be assaulted by the senses by DK's true crime. Oh, yeah. Well, in all fairness, uh, I, I, I was only given three days to, to do this, so um, not necessarily the foremost expert, but I'm going to do my goddamn best. All right, DK. Yeah. Give me, give me the fucking true crime and ghosts. <laughs> So normally we'd start this with a quote, but there aren't really a whole lot of quotes to give. Um, so wow, you couldn't even reach my level. No, well, not yet. All right, all right. Like I've only had three days to get on your level. That's not a lot of time, man. So anyway, what? Uh, what? 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 I, I only have a week between episodes. Yeah, you could get I had half the time you did. They give me half a quote. Um. Hmm. How's about um mm, uh Hey, stewardess. I have a bomb. That's that's about as good as I can do for you, but <laughs> what? That's that's about as good as I can. Do. What the fuck? What the fuck? Not, not an actual quote. I'm just assuming that that was probably something. Who has the bomb? Ex exactly. Uh, but you know it's on a plane. Mm? Okay, are we talking about, like, like a bomber on a plane? Is that our true crime? More or less. Oh, my God. More or less. Oh, my God, my Any, any guesses? Uh, the shoe bomber? No, it's D.B. Cooper. Who's that? Who's that? 
Who's that? I'm, Educate me, I am, true crime DK. I am so glad you asked Houdini because we're going to go over one of the only unsolved air piracy hijackings in history. American history, because I don't know what's going on in other countries and stuff, but D.B. Cooper. So, you, you ready for this? You, I'm, I've, I, I was born not ready. <laughs> I have a good chunk of stuff, so. <clears throat> actually? Yeah, actually. I actually looked some stuff up, bro. Listen to some podcasts. Uh, got, I, I, I have that, you, you're, stuff. You've done more work than me. Oh, man, I'm already past your level, and I didn't even have a quote. It's been a long year. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so we are going back to November 24th, 1971, the night before Thanksgiving. There's a nondescript man in his 40s with a black briefcase wearing a business suit, overcoat, black clip-on tie, and a white shirt. He buys a one-way ticket on flight 305, which is specifically a Boeing 727-100. The plane, the type of plane is actually really important, but we'll talk about that later. This flight is going from Portland International Airport to the Seattle-Tacoma International Airport. The man identifies himself as Dan Cooper and pays in all cash. And in the 70s, that's not a cause for alarm. You could just buy a ticket, all cash, no ID. You could give them any name you felt like. They don't check this shit and get yourself on a plane. They don't check his bags either, because again, it's 1970. They don't do this shit yet. But if they did check his bag, this would have been a really short episode. So, Dan Cooper is sitting in seat 18C. He lights up a cigarette and orders a bourbon and soda. 1970s were God a damn, hell of a time. the 70s were fucking cool, damn right? it. You could get on a plane and just light up, hit me with a bourbon and soda. Nobody asks any questions. Completely oh, normal. It seems like he's certainly going to light something up. Well, I mean, I don't want to jump the gun. That's actually not a pun. This has nothing to do with guns. Oh, oh, I was about to say, does he also have a gun? No, he has no gun. He has no oh. gun. Just, just this kind of nondescript, normal-looking dude. Just your average. Just imagine any business businessman from the 70s. Congratulations. Looks like Dan Cooper. Even with the, 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 the sort of skinny black clip-on tie. This is very nondescript. And, and the bomb. Well, you don't know that yet. You only know that he has a black briefcase. You're right. He is a normal man. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I am not familiar. How dare, how dare you? Anyway, <laughs> shortly after takeoff, Cooper would slip a note to a flight attendant named Florence Schaffner, who easily has the most 70s name I've ever heard in my life. Um, and at this point, Schaffner kind of assumes like, oh God, this businessman is handing a note. Dude, I'm not going to have sex with you. Go back to your drink. And she kind of just ignores the note until Cooper kind of leans over to her and is like, hey, um, you might want to give that note maybe a quick look because it's, you know. And according to Schaffner, the note basically said he has a bomb and she needs to sit next to him right now. 
Nobody really knows the exact wording of it because Schaffner was super panicked. And uh, because Dan Cooper took back the notes so there wouldn't be uh, any physical evidence, there wouldn't be a handwriting sample, uh, you know, he didn't want to leave any, he didn't want to leave a paper trail. So Schaffner sits next to Cooper and asks if she could see the bomb. She wants to see it. She wants to know that it's real. So Cooper opens up his briefcase and there's just this mess of red wires, batteries, and red cylinders. Sort of like uh, uh, the stereotypical image of a bomb you'd expect to see on like cartoons or something. Something that fucking The, the one with the little like little numpad in the center and yeah, like yeah. the big tube. Oh, yeah, like yeah, a okay. big clock on everything, you know, that sort of just stereotypical image. And I imagine at this point, a lot of people be like, that's so fake, what the fuck? But who's going to roll the dice in this situation? Who in their right mind could conceivably see something that is probably a bomb and you're told is a bomb and be like, yeah, bet? Uh, no, you, you have to assume at this point that it's the real deal and just go with whatever the hijacker wants. That's your best chance of survival. So Cooper makes his demands known to Schaffner, who has to relay the information to the captain, William A. Scott, because again, Cooper doesn't want to talk to the captain he doesn't want to write anything down so Schaffner and another flight attend attendant are sort of like his little liaisons that'll go and tell the captain and the crew everything he wants so he wants two hundred thousand dollars which might not sound like a good enough ransom inflation exactly uh by today's standards that is 1.2 million dollars uh, and he wants it in negotiable American currency, and he wants four parachutes, which kind of comes into play later. So after Schaffner relays this to the cockpit, they immediately contact Seattle-Tacoma Air Traffic Control, who in turn contact the FBI, because I guess you, from a plane, you probably can't immediately contact the FBI yourself. Um, and then when Schaffner returned, for some reason, Cooper was wearing these really dorky like wrap around your head black sunglasses like if you've ever seen a picture of dan cooper you've ever seen like the police composite these things are so dorky i don't know why anyone on the planet would put them on although i guess wait wait what was it? dan cooper dan glasses cooper. yeah they, it looks really stupid um Oh my god, they're enormous. Yeah, they're they're enormous. Um, and Shy just posted a picture of like the composite sketch. He's the most normal-ass looking 1970s this, person on the planet. This is the this is literally like like the parts you see in American Psycho where all the businessmen get mixed up on their names because they look fucking identical. Exactly. Like, that's exactly how this feels like. Exactly. So also, uh, at the time, the the rest of the plane, which is like a third full anyway they weren't even told there was a hijacker on the plane they didn't know there was a dude with a bomb ransoming off the plane all they were told is that there would be a delay due to minor tech or minor mechanical difficulty when in reality they were circling puget sound for two hours waiting for the ransom money and the parachutes to be gathered Damn. Yeah. Two hours. Two hours. Well, it takes a lot of time to get all that money. Um, so two hours around Puget Sound. And during this time, one of the other flight attendants, her name is Tina Mucklow, noted that Cooper was surprisingly calm. He wasn't a panicked mess of nerves. The dude, <laughs> Dan Cooper ordered another round of drinks 
And even though he was hijacking the plane for $200,000, he still paid his drink tab. What a, what an, you know what, what an upstanding gentleman. <laughs> I'm sure nothing bad will happen to this man and karma will be good to him. Oh, absolutely. But it's like, how often do you hear about a plane hijacking, which actually in the 70s was like really common because they don't have a ton of security. Um, and the guy- don't, don't like most serial killers and shit though, aren't they like super fucking calm sociopaths? Like they're always just really leveled and mellow, which is why they were so hard to catch. I guess so, but I feel like in the 1970s, like, there were, like I said, there were a lot of hijackings back in the day, and, like, the stereotypical image were, like, these hardened, like, psychopaths or, like, uh, uh, Cuban defectors that were trying to get back home or something like that, so they had, like, this stereotype of being, like, these fucking wild and crazy hijackers, so I guess it seemed a little unusual that he was so calm. Um, he also made sure that meals were ordered for the crew when they actually made their stop off in Seattle to get the money. So... Oh, they landed? Yeah, they actually do end up landing because he has to get the money and he has to get his parachutes and then they're going to take off again. So that's that's like his big plan is he's going to get the money, he's going to get the chutes, and then they're going to take off again and he's going to, you know, fly to safety. Anyway. So, uh, Tina Mucklow specifically told investigators later that he, he wasn't nervous. He seemed Wait, rather... Wait, remind me who Tina Mucklow was again? Oh, she's just one of the other flight attendants that was uh, sort of ferrying messages to the captain on Cooper's uh, behalf. Not, not Florence and the Machine. <laughs> no, not Florence okay. and the Machine. <laughs> All right, good, good, good. Well, yeah, she told investigators that Cooper wasn't nervous. He seemed rather nice. He was never cruel or nasty, and he was thoughtful and calm all the time. So, pretty, like, aside from the hijacking, pretty nice guy. You know, aside from the, the whole bomb threat thing. This is, this is why there are Ted Bundy apologists. <laughs> I'm sure there are a lot of uh, uh, D.B. Cooper apologists, too. So, it was also clear to Tina Mucklow that Cooper was shockingly familiar with the area like from his seat on the plane he looked down out the window and was like oh yeah that looks like Tacoma down there uh and then he properly mentioned that McCord Air Force Base was a 20 minute drive from the airport so he really knew the surrounding area <laughs> okay sorry sorry I'm I'm I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm allergic to good storytelling great job DK keep it up <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Thanks. Notice how I'm never sick during our episodes. Oh, wow. You son of a Self-burn. Bam. Boom. <laughs> Bing bong. Uh, I'm sorry. He was familiar with the area? He was. He, he could tell where they were from his seat on the plane. Just looking out the window, he knew where they were. Dang. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Mucklow at one point asked if Cooper had a grudge against their airline specifically, which was Northwestern Orient or something. Um, and he said, I don't have a grudge against your airline, miss. I just have a grudge. Interesting. So there was a motivation to something. There was some sort of motivation, but at this point, we don't know. And he talked in a southern drawl. No, I just thought that was the proper voice to get Don. <laughs> as, as far as we know, he was just like, I don't have a grudge against your airline, miss. I just I have, don't have a grudge. 
Was he sound like fucking Deltrian? He's like, I don't have a grudge against your airline. Cease interrupting. Probably something like that, yeah. Yep. So when his demands are finally met, the plane can land at uh, Seattle Tacoma, uh, and Cooper makes sure that all the window shades are closed in case there are snipers trying to look in and pick him off, which, pretty big brain move, because there are totally snipers trying to pick him off. So the parachute, parachutes and money in 10,000 unmarked 20s, which I don't know why he wanted 10,000 unmarked 20s. I don't know why any hijacker wants the specific amount of 20s that they want. That's just what he wanted. Um, Easier to spend? Because if you give 100 to to a store, they like check it and make sure all stuff like 20s are a lot less suspicious. Oh, that could be. I hadn't thought about that. It would be a lot easier to spend 20s. Yeah, because you you give a twenty to a store, but if I, if I'm getting a fucking if I'm getting a goddamn uh, apple at at midnight for definitely <laughs> health reasons and nothing else, and I give them a hundred, they're gonna be they're gonna be yeah, super a little, sus. A little sus. Okay, that's fair. I'm yeah, let's go with that. That's good. All right, that's good. And the money had been microfilmed. Uh, the serial numbers were documented. So if they if any of this money got spent, they would probably know about it. Um, but all of this was picked up by Tina Mucklow via the aft stairs. Those aft stairs are very, very important later. Um, and all of this stuff was finally delivered to Cooper. Um, so Cooper was actually given the choice of, uh, a couple of parachutes, uh, that he could take. And, um, he, he, he picked an interesting couple of parachutes uh, one of the parachutes he picked had an X on it to signify that it was a training parachute. Uh, and what I mean by it's a training parachute is um, it's it's a dummy. The chute is just sewn shut. You it it doesn't open. He doesn't seem like a he doesn't seem like a dumb man. Yeah, he just it's maybe he just doesn't know parachutes and he doesn't know what a dummy chute looks like. What? So it, hmm. Okay. He, he also managed to pick a military chute. And until looking up all this stuff, I didn't know that there was a difference between a civilian parachute and military parachute. Apparently, you can't steer a military parachute. That's just not a thing they do, because I guess they would be worried that maybe you'd be like, oh, combat's down there. Let's get away. So, yeah, I wasn't aware that- of that. <laughs> That's some Soviet Union ass shit. Well, what the hell? Like, right? what if you get dropped off in the wrong spot or the wind takes you? Shit out what? of luck, I guess. Apparently, you can't steer a military well, okay. parachute. Well, okay. This, well, this this was in the '70s. It could just be that those were the old like paratrooper shoots that were just Ooh. the big circly ones, and just like goes down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's probably what it is. Maybe I don't know. We have a lot that, of that's fans true. in the military. Maybe they could tell us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We need we need some military brats or just military service people uh, to tell us about that. What's the difference? What's the difference? Because like by today's standards, surely if you're a paratrooper, you can you know aim that shit. But in the 1970s, apparently you can't steer it. Uh, it's also believed that he asked for four parachutes because he wanted uh, he wanted everybody to believe that he was going to take a hostage with him. And, and so they wouldn't give him faulty stuff because if he does jump and he takes a hostage with him, you don't want to risk the life of the hostage. <sighs> See, that's super smart, which is like, which makes me think they took the training one 
like as a joke or like he had a purpose for i don't know, keep keep talking this i'm very invested in mm, this mm. um but it, it it's kind of ironic that he was like ooh i want to make sure they don't give me faulty stuff and then the shoots he chose for himself were very poor choices so it kind of kind of kind of evens itself out uh but once cooper's demands had been met uh, i guess this was the bargain was once he gets this stuff he would allow all of the passengers and Florence Schaffner to be released, only keeping the necessary members of the crew to fly the plane and Tina Mucklow. Tina Mucklow stayed as well. And um, in doing research for this, I listened to the uh, Stuff You Should Know podcast. Uh, I mentioned this because I couldn't find this little anecdote anywhere else, but I trust their research team. Uh, but according to them, Cooper offered to give Mucklow uh, some of the ransom money. I'm assuming because she was pretty helpful. She was passing off his demands to the cockpit. Um, but when he offered her the money, she had the most Chad response ever. When offered the money, she simply said, no tipping allowed. Damn. <laughs> Damn. What a fucking boss. Holy right? shit. <laughs> what, what a baller. What a Chad thing to do. So like in the all this shit, and she's like, "Uh, uh, uh sweetie, no tipping." <laughs> yeah, I'm no like, "God tipping. damn, <laughs> well, what a fucking queen!" Holy right? shit! What a beast! What a beast! I I had to put that, even though I couldn't find a specific notation. I I had I had to put it in. Um, the FAA also tried to arrange a face to face meeting with Cooper, but for all intents and purposes, his response was, "Lol, Lamau, uh, uh-uh. uh." Um, yeah, yeah, he wasn't. He wasn't going to take any part of that. Um, it should, uh, like I've mentioned before, uh, none of the crew, captain, co-pilot, or anyone uh, ever actually spoke directly with Cooper. Um, all of his demands and instructions were passed on via Schaffner or Mucklow, uh, and the pen messages were never in his handwriting. He was super careful to try not to leave any fingerprints. Uh, and really the only time that he got even a little bit upset, or it seemed like he got upset, was when the refueling of the plane, so they could take off again and whatever, uh, was going, mm, it was going a little slower than he liked, so he sent a note up to the crew that just said, let's get this show on the road. And that's, what? that's angry Dan Cooper right there. Uh, th that is that is the mad variant. Well, I don't know. I would assume the mad variant is the one with the thing off the bomb, but yeah. there's also that. Damn. Yep. Um. So, actually, I, I bet though. Do do we think that let's get the show on the road was more slang to say hurry up back in the seventies though? Perhaps. Uh, I mean, that's, you got to assume it is the seventies. They're not going to swear. They're not going to curse. Really, that wasn't that I, popular well, of a thing back well, then, right? Well, I don't know about that one, but <laughs> the hippie movement just came around. Oh, that's fair. The late sixties and all. Ah, ah, whatever. That's fair. Whatever, but because like, let's get the be, show yeah. in the road. Let's get the show on the road means one of two things: either like let's hurry up or let's get started. Yeah. All right. Um, but even though he hadn't been like contacting much with the crew, he kind of had to speak with the crew because he had uh he had a flight plan. From here on out, he had a very specific way that he wanted this plane to uh, take off and where he wanted it to go. He wanted to head towards Mexico City at the minimum speed they could go without stalling and at a max of 10,000 altitude. 
Now, I think it should be pretty obvious why he wants these specific things, but if it wasn't obvious, he also wanted to make sure that the landing gears were down the whole flight, the cabin remained unpressurized, and that the wing flaps be lowered 15 degrees, and most importantly, he wanted to make sure those aft stairs that were only on a Boeing 727-100 remained lowered during and after takeoff. Okay, so you just threw a lot. You just you just threw a lot of come at me. So let me let me see if I can catch it. Mm -hmm. um, so seven so seven two seven has the stairs. So basically, the reason he has it slow and unpressurized is so that he could easily jump from it. Obviously, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. the, I'm not sure what the wing flaps being down means. I would assume that just puts. Less pressure on the plane or something. Yeah, or... makes it easier to jump out or puts more drag on it, so it has to go even slower. I don't know. Less less speed is obvious. The height is obvious. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. so basically, the entire point is make the plane go slow and low, so that and the, and the stairs are out because then you know if it's pressurized and you open the door, the thing goes and mm -hmm, it flies away. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so you can basically walk down the stairs and then jump off like it's stairway to heaven or hell. Pretty much. Um, why the landing gear? I'm not really sure why the landing gear. That's just one of the things they always mentioned whenever I looked anything up. Is one of the things he wanted. He wanted that landing gear down. Um, the unpressurized huh. thing, the slow speed. Oh, the landing gear down also slows down. Well, I guess it would slow down the plane, wouldn't it? Having but the landing he was gear specifically down. said slowest you can do without stalling. That's true. But so you would assume that you would. Yeah. Ah, whatever. All yeah, right, continue. Fine. This guy. This guy. This guy thought this shit out. He really did. Um, couple problems. Uh, that the crew noted when they were given uh, all of these details. One, the range of the plane. Uh, they had they they were like, well, okay, so we need to stop somewhere before we reach Mexico City because man, we just don't have enough fuel to get to Mexico City, because they were still apparently completely oblivious to what he was planning to do. So, <laughs> they actually discussed. Cooper discussed with the crew where to stop and refuel. And I have to believe this was the most whatever conversation Cooper ever engaged in. Just whatever. Just go somewhere. It doesn't matter if you... Just... Ugh. So they agreed to stop and, and refuel in Reno when they needed to. Second problem, or third problem, or whatever problem we're on, uh, is that it was decided it was far too dangerous to take off with the aft stairs lowered. Uh, you just couldn't do it too dangerous, you might hurt the ship, or ship, you might hurt the plane, you might hurt the crew that's still in there. Uh, so they decided that uh, Tina Mucklow would just teach Cooper how to use the aft stairs, and he would just do it midair. So, again, it's pretty obvious what he's trying to do. He wants these aft stairs down. He's like, okay, fine. If I can't take off with it, I'll just lower it when we're in the air. So, 727 takes off. And at this point, the only people on board are the captain, the first officer, the flight engineer, Cooper, and Tina Mucklow. Uh, they did have a couple of, uh, I think it's F-106 fighters tailing above and below them. I assume that they would have some jets on them, yeah. yeah also, but... the, the, the flight attendant lady, mm -hmm. uh, Florence and the Machine, is gone? <laughs> yeah, Florence and the Machine got off with the other passengers. Aww, all right. Well, at least yeah. Tina's around because she's a fucking Chad. Yeah, Tina's still around to sort of help with any sort of last-minute relaying of messages that Cooper might need and, you know. Um, 
but there wasn't a whole lot the fighters could do. I mean, the crew's still on board with Cooper. He's still assumed to have a bomb. I can't imagine anybody's going to give the order to just blow this passenger plane out of the air. Uh, also, the weather conditions uh, on this night uh, were pretty bad. Um, it was cloudy, it was rainy, and it was very cold. So visibility, real bad. So um, once they're in the air, uh, Cooper tells Mucklow to uh, head to the cockpit and keep that curtain closed. I don't want you to see what I'm up to back here. Nobody gets to see. Um, and not long after, there is an indicator in the cockpit that's like, hey, those aft stairs are being lowered. Uh, and the captain calls back to Cooper on the cabin phone. He's like, hey, you um, you need any, you need any help back there? There's some, uh, we're getting some weird readings up there. And uh, the only response from Cooper was he picked up the phone and just said, no. <laughs> That's all he said. Nope. This guy. <laughs> this guy, right? This fucking guy. And that is the last time that anyone ever heard from Cooper. As the crew noticed a significant change in air pressure and a sudden sort of upward uh, uh, movement from the tail section... Cooper just up and jumped out the goddamn plane and would never be seen again. Never again. Never again. He would never be seen again. He's com- he completely got away with it. Well, that, that that so that depends, right? That depends. Um so when the plane landed in Reno. The aft stairs still open and rattling around and juddering around as they land. The police, local sheriffs, FBI, all of the king's men were waiting for this plane to land. Uh, they obviously didn't immediately charge into the plane because who the fuck knows if Cooper is still there? Does he still have the bomb? Did he hide a bomb on the plane uh, to detonate after he was a certain distance away? Who knows? So, Once the captain went back and confirmed that Cooper and the bomb were no longer on the plane, the FBI charged in, and they did a very thorough, like, half-hour sweep to confirm that uh, the Cooper bomb wasn't there, and there were no hidden bombs, and everything was safe. So, um, there was, even though there was no sign of Cooper, the bomb, or the money, there were a few pieces of evidence left. Uh, Cooper actually did leave... A few fingerprints, although I say a few, it was something like 60 fingerprints they actually found. Uh, He left his clip-on tie, which I'm not sure why he bothered taking that off, but whatever. Uh, Two of the four parachutes, since he used the sewn shut... (laughs) He actually jumped with the reserve chute as the sewn shut one and the military one as his primary. And uh, they found a couple hairs on the headrest he was sitting at. So that's so basically so basically the exact things you would find from a regular person going on a regular flight. Yeah, basically all of the normal things that a normal person would leave behind because he wasn't writing notes. Um, The one note that he did write to Florence in the machine, he took back from her. So they didn't even really have a writing sample of his. So, yeah, if he never went if he was never in jail prior to this and they wouldn't have any DNA to like match. Yeah, he. I don't even, he didn't I don't even know if they had that in the seventies, though. So yeah, if they had no record. Yeah. He, so did he? Did he jump over Mexico City or did he jump over Reno? So he actually jumped over. Um, it was actually it was 
pretty shortly after the flight took off. So it was around uh, Oregon. Ah, so he area. knew he wasn't. He knew he wasn't getting there. He's like, if, if I if we land in Reno, I'm screwed. So. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So that that's why, like, when they were discussing, like, oh yeah, where should we stop and refuel? He was just like, dude, whatever, just take off. I don't give a shit. <laughs> I don't give a shit. Where you go to? Just go somewhere. Oh, you want to stop in Reno? Sure, stop in Reno. I'm getting off in like 20 minutes. So, yeah, other than that, Cooper was never seen again. He was never caught. Uh, and it remains as like one of the only unsolved hijacking air piracy cases. But So, so wait a second. He, he left the flight. Mm-hmm. from Oregon it's a flight from Oregon to Seattle they landed in Seattle and then went back and then he jumped back out around Oregon yeah something like that what if he just like what if he just fucking went home <laughs> could have I mean who what knows if, what if he just went home like it's, it's in the same state what if he like all you I mean you have this image of him sure but yep it, it's the 70s like he just went home with his yep. money yep so what would come next was one of the most exhaustive FBI searches ever. Uh, it came to be known as Norjack, which was sor- short for the Northwestern Hijacking. Um, and first things first, uh, obviously, I think it should be clear at this point, Dan Cooper was a fake name. Uh, yeah, 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 obviously. Yeah, like we said earlier, in the 70s, you didn't have to present any sort of formal identification to buy a plane ticket and board a plane. You showed up, you could tell them whatever name you want, pay for your ticket, didn't even get your bag, didn't get your baggage checked for tampering. Um, but after the Cooper hijacking, it would become pretty commonplace for bags to be searched for tampering and actually be put through uh, an x-ray. Um Actually, the ID thing didn't start to become popular until, like, fairly recently. Like, like you didn't have to do uh, IDs until, like, 2005 or something? Oh, so the D.V. Cooper thing is what started the, the bag scan. I always thought mm-hmm. it was post-9-11 stuff. Nope, that was that was good old Coop. That was huh. old boy Coop. I always assumed that all the horrible shit to deal with at the, at the airport is post-9-11 stuff. So that, that's interesting. That's fair. And that fucking shoe bomber douchebag uh, yes. makes you take off his uh, your fucking shoes every time, yep. bitch. Yep. Um, but back to the fake name, Dan Cooper. Now, most people know this as the DB Cooper heist, right? So right. you're probably wondering, well, why 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 the fuck is it called the DB Cooper uh like DB Cooper case when this is Dan Cooper? Where the B? Where where where'd that B come from? Um well during the investigation, they decided that the one of the ways they could maybe find out or maybe find him was uh, he was using his real name or a prior alias that he had used before for a heist or something like that. And they did, they were suspect of someone named D.B. Cooper. I think he was like a, a, a jewel thief or something or like a cat burglar. And he had this record and they were investigating him. And there were like a couple of police officers officers that were talking about, they're like, oh yeah, you know, there is, um, there's a D.B. Cooper that we're thinking could be a suspect. And there was just some journalist that happened to hear them talking about it and just misunderstood he thought that D.B. Cooper, they were like, oh, yeah, D.B. Cooper's the actual pseudonym for the hijacker. And he didn't realize that it was just a potential suspect that the police had already eliminated. The mistake that this journalist made was then republished several more times and wham, 
everybody knows it as the D.B. Cooper heist because oh my some God. journalist just fucked up, heard the wrong thing, published the mistake, everybody republished it. You know, so often whenever I hear about these true crime things, and it's like, how did they get away with it? 90% of the time, it's like police incompetence <laughs> or or some bullshit like this that just derails the entire goddamn case. It's always incompetence from, like, law enforcement. Yeah. so fucking aggravating. Yeah, although, I mean... To be fair, this was more the journalists, right? Because the the police but were just the, like, they, you know, we're we're looking we're looking everywhere we possibly can. We're trying. We're just we're casting a wide net. And this journalist was just like, ah, you know, I've got deadlines coming up. I gotta get. I got a scoop. I got a scoop. Um, also, but, this isn't the first. I mean, time. I, I guess, but like, they should not be taking the journalist's word on a goddamn investigation of a fucking plane bomber. <laughs> Probably not. Also, this is not going to be the last example of some maybe journalists jumping the gun trying to get a scoop. Um, there's another pretty funny example, actually. Anyway. Wait, it's still involving the, this case, though, right? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Still this case. Okay, okay. So they decided to try to figure out or to sort of tighten the area where Dan Cooper could have landed. They wanted to recreate the events of that, of that night. So they got themselves a 200-pound sled, and they just recreated the events. They pushed the sled off, uh, and the search area ended up being uh, a few miles southeast of Ariel, Washington, uh, near some artificial lake. And despite their best efforts uh, and exhaustive searches, including door-to-door searches of local farm farmhouses and uh, some air sweeps, Nothing. They found no trace of Cooper or the money in that area. Um, this little sled experiment uh, also proved that Cooper didn't, like, burn up in the engine's exhaust. Because some people be like, oh, well, if he jumped, shouldn't the engines have fucked with him or sucked him in or burned him alive or something? No, the sled just whoop, dropped like a ton of bricks. So, huh. yeah. So it is It is completely plausible that he jumped and was just, you know, he just jumped. Um, he, he, he did his parachute, and then he... Because the Jets couldn't can't keep up with that parachute. They're going to fly right past the Oh, ass. yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, it was also really bad visibility, so the chances that they could even see him um, were probably pretty slim. Um, also, in an effort to find the ransom money, which was microfilmed and had specific serial numbers, this is more journalistic prowess, uh, uh, the FBI released the serial numbers to establishments that could see large sums of money pass through, mostly places that, uh, you know, casinos, racetracks, gambling halls, stuff like that. Um, and Northwest Orient offered up to 25 thousand dollars as a reward to anyone that could recover the money or potentially help them recover the money which kind of backfired on them more specifically it backfired on a newsweek reporter uh there was an incident where two guys got some counterfeit money that they printed cooper ransom numbers on they offered it to a Newsweek reporter, Carl Fleming, and an interview with someone they falsely claimed was the hijacker for the low, low price of $30,000. Oh, my God. And Carl Fleming agreed to this exclusive deal, and the two actually conned him out of 30000 
$1,000 for the bogus counterfeit money and interview. Oh. Okay, smart. <laughs> okay, smart. But Jesus. Yeah, but don't worry. The two guys, they were caught. They were charged with impersonating a hijacker and extortion of Carl Fleming. And I'm pretty sure he got all his money back and the two just ended up rotting in prison. So they didn't technically get away with it. But the fact that they had the balls, the balls to try something like that is. That's one of those things where it's so outlandish that they're probably like, there's no way they'll think we're lying because it'd be so crazy if we did. Yeah. But at some point you had to realize you were going to get just absolutely you know yeah no i mean and they did so yeah uh in 1978 there were some hunters in oregon uh they were in the woods and they found uh they found a placard that sort of metal sign that was attached to the plane that had instructions on how to operate the aft stairs so they actually found a little piece of cooper history um didn't really lead to anything because it could have blown in from anywhere it was on the flight path anyway it didn't lead to anything new but it sparked a whole shitload of new interest in the db cooper case because surprisingly at this time people kind of just forgot about it you know it's like oh yeah there was that heist where some dude got away and he jumped out the plane nothing ever came of it and this sort of renewed a little interest in it um and then on february 10th 1980 uh there's a boy named brian ingram he was digging a fire pit, fire pit, fire pit, fire pit, fire pita. Mm, love it. Mm, mm, delicious. Delicious Mediterranean food. Uh, he was digging a fire pit on a beach in Vancouver, Washington. And while digging this fire pit, he stumbled upon a sack of actual Cooper ransom money. Uh, the money has uh, it was in pretty rough shape. It was uh, deteriorated. It was rotting. It somehow the rubber bands hadn't deteriorated though so even though it was in kind of rough shape still you know still you know um but when ingram's father called the authorities who then called the fbi because who just has the number of the fbi rolling around uh they were able to confirm that they were indeed part of the ransom money they they uh they got the serial numbers or (laughs) most of the serial numbers a good chunk of the serial numbers shy just posted a picture of what this deteriorated rotten money looks like it looks like trash it's in pretty rough shape you're not gonna be spending that um so it's the cooper money and fun fact uh brian ingram who found it he was allowed to keep some of the money that he found i think reports say that they like literally split the money like uh, the fbi kept half of it because you know we should hold on to some of it and brian ingram was allowed to keep Half of it, because, hey, good job finding it, kiddo. Um, In 2008, Brian Ingram actually auctioned off, uh, people think it was around uh, 15 of these bills, these deteriorated rotten bills. And uh, he... Oh, how much much did he get? He got $38,000 for it. What a fucking chad. (laughs) Good job, dude. No, knowing exactly what to do with that stuff, exactly yeah. the right decision. Good job. Yeah, he held on to it. Like you can look up pictures of it. He there are pictures of him holding it. And he he put it in these really nice cases for authentication, and it was thirty eight thousand dollars. Good for you from maybe from what might have been three thousand dollars worth of bills turned it into thirty eight grand. Good for him. Good job. God damn. Good job. Yeah. 
And um, you know, normally finding this money would have been a super good thing. Big clue, big revelations. This is where the money is. We're on the right track. We've got a new area to search. Unfortunately, it kind of did the exact opposite because this money, it was found nowhere near where they thought Cooper should have landed. It was like uh. it was like 20 miles south of where they thought their search area was. Um, and uh, nobody's confirmed exactly how it got there, but uh, the best I've heard is that um, it was probably in a lake in the initial search area, or at least close to the search area they had, but that lake flooded and was, like, dredged, and so the money kind of just... just kind of crashed out from that spot all the way down to Vancouver, Washington, apparently. So, huh. damn, okay. Didn't didn't really help figure out what the hell happened to a uh, good old coop. And uh, in all the time they spent investigating DB Cooper, uh, it's believed that there were like over eight hundred somewhat serious suspects that were ruled out. Um. For some reason, a lot of people confess to being DB Cooper on their deathbed. Ah, uh, they 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 wanted the they they wanted the notoriety. They wanted that last bit of notoriety before going out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They they want they wanted to be like I'm about to die anyway, so like I was the guy the whole time. I'm the I'm the master the master manipulator. It or was whatever. me, Austin. It was me. It all was along. me all along, Austin. <laughs> um, and a lot of these they were able to uh, debunk. Because uh, they they had his age, they had his appearance, so they could be like, yeah, dude, you just th- you don't match up. Like your age doesn't match up with how old DB Cooper would have been. You don't look anything like him. So uh, in 2016, the investigation was announced suspended, stating that their resources were 2016. Just- <laughs> yeah, two th- they hadn't found him. They never found him, and they were st- they would still take tips. You know, after two that they'd still be like, oh, you can still send in tips, but like. This thing is closed. Like, it's been this long. We haven't found out shit. Our resources are better used on other cases. Um, and the most common belief uh, on on the fate of Dan Cooper is simply he didn't survive the jump. And that there was almost no way he could survive the jump. Which, it's a fairly reasonable th- thing to think when you look at it. Um, I mean, Cooper... V- very clearly, was no expert when it came to skydiving. He picked a fucking training chute and a chute that you couldn't steer. Uh, he was also just horribly dressed for such a for such a crazy jump. He had on loafers, a business suit, and a basic overcoat. When he jumped out of that plane, it would have been 15 degrees, pitch black, cloudy with near no visibility, freezing rains, and he'd be jumping into heavily forested areas. That jump is wild, even for someone that knows what they're doing with the proper equipment. And Cooper, who seemed like they thought maybe he had some military training because he knew about the aft stairs and, like, nobody knew about the aft stairs unless you were, like, really into planes or maybe you had, like, served in Vietnam or something. Um... But he, he was no skydiver. And unless he had someone waiting for him at the exact location he was going to land with aid and was a pro skydiver, it is really, 
really unlikely that he survived. Um, oh, go ahead. But well, I actually like the military angle of this thing, though. I mean, there's the, the possibility that he could have known because he say served in Vietnam, which is the reason he took the military training shoot because he was more familiar with it. Mm-hmm. Could certainly make sense. The idea that he that he just straight died on the way down is is extremely fucking boring. And <laughs> it is. I, I this is one of the few situations where I almost wish he just got away with it because that yeah. would be cooler. A lot of people kind of share your mindset where it's just like, man, the balls on this guy. Oh, I kind of hope he got away with it. Yeah, and- like 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 no one got hurt. No one died. Not to, I mean, I'm obviously not defending with the fuck he did because he did some really fucking terrible shit. Um, but, like, I don't know. The possibility that he just straight up got away with it is kind of an interesting concept. Yeah, and like Shai said, uh, the CIA actually used uh, Boeing 727s in Vietnam to uh, drop off support, drop off aids, uh, discreetly <coughs> drop off agents. So, it fits, and these were the type of people that they were actually looking for um, when they were looking for suspects, which brings us to one of the more popular suspects uh, that they found, whose name was Richard McCoy Jr. And uh, the reason Richard McCoy Jr. is so popular is because this guy actually staged a copycat hijacking of what Dan Cooper did, but he survived. He survived the jump. So, but McCoy, he was caught. Well, we'll get into that. Okay. Okay. So McCoy was an army veteran, and he served in Vietnam, which again, mm, kind of lines up. And he was said to have been a very avid and capable skydiver. In his copycat of the Cooper heist, he boarded United Airlines Flight 855, obviously also a Boeing 727-100 with the same aft stairs, and uh, he boarded this flight in Denver, Colorado. The heist, of course, being a copycat, was very close to what Cooper did, except McCoy held up the plane with... He had a fake paperweight that apparently looked like a hand grenade and an unloaded handgun. This is what he held the plane up with. Okay. And he did also demand four parachutes, but this time he asked for $500,000 instead of the previous $200,000, which I guess you might as well make a little extra bank if you're going through all the trouble. Um, He also, unfortunately, wrote down in his own handwriting all the instructions to the pilot on what he wanted them to do. So, once his demands are met, just like D.B. Cooper, he jumped out the plane via the aft stairs while they were flying over Provo, Utah. And he threatened that if anyone followed him, or if he spotted any pursuit planes, he would blow up a secret device that he hid inside the plane. Problem is, uh, McCoy left maybe just a little too much evidence behind. Uh, While the FBI were searching for just anything they could use, they found one of the handwritten notes he was using to communicate with the crew. Ah, handwriting. uh, Yeah. Yep, yep. He forgot to take that one note with him, whether it slipped off of him or he just had a brain fart. They found that note. And as they were doing this investigation, turns out there was a (coughs) 
concerned citizen who'd called in like a tip line because he knew someone that was like, hey, yo, I've got this foolproof plan for a hijacking. Oh, yeah, I've got the goods. I've got the deets. I've got the plan. And who was he calling about? He was calling about Richard McCoy Jr. I must say, Richard McCoy does look a lot like the sketch of DB, though. They're very similar looking. He does. He 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 fits the he he kind of fits the description. I mean, obviously, a sketch is just from memory, and memory is fickle. So I could absolutely see that it looked like the same person. But DB acted too smart to do it again. I don't know. Yeah. He was way too clean and crisp for him to fuck up like that. I don't know. Yeah. It doesn't sound right. Yeah, it really does. And there, there are more things that point towards them not being the same person. But we'll get into that. So the FBI obviously bring him in and they want to interrogate him. And for some reason, McCoy freely offers up his fingerprints, a sample of his handwriting, and he just, of course, he's going to continue to pretend like he was innocent. Uh, I'm assuming that homeboy had no idea they had a sample of his handwriting. Otherwise, why would you give it so willingly? Why would you cooperate so willingly? Although, I guess if you don't cooperate, it's like, oh, shit, I'm looking pretty sus, bros. Yeah. Yeah. So, not only did they have the writing uh, samples to compare, uh, but they also were able to match his fingerprints from a magazine that he had been reading on the plane. Ah. So... And uh, they actually matched it up with, uh, he served in the military, as we said, he served in Vietnam, so they actually had uh, some fingerprints on, like, his military file that they could uh, uh, that they could match up. And they're like, yup, that's the guy. So on April 9th, his home was searched under warrant, and what do you know? They found the money. All, well, almost all of the money, because apparently... Uh, after he uh, survived his daring caper, uh, he bought a milkshake and a $5 ride into town. So, oh, yeah, this is no D.B. Cooper. This guy's an amateur. Yeah, so technically, they only found $499,970. Oh, oh, big spender. Mm, big spender. That milkshake. Mm. Mm, uh, and mm, he it's was not sentenced... with $5, mm. but, you know. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, and uh, McCoy was then sentenced to 45 years in prison Ooh, yeah a little bit of a sentence but mccoy actually wouldn't see all 45 years of that sentence because he and some inmates commandeered a garbage truck and crashed through the front gates to escape this guy is like it's like a total hick yeah, um, but he was later found in Virginia Beach, and he would be killed in a shootout with FBI agents. Ah, well, yeah. you get what's coming to you. Yeah, you kind of do. You you get what you deserve, Murray. You get what you fucking deserve. Now, obviously, everyone is welcome to believe what they want, and I think there are still a lot of people that genuinely believe that Richard McCoy Jr. and Dan Cooper are the same person. There are even a few books out there that are like, yo, yeah, there's no doubt in my mind, this guy was Dan Cooper. No doubt about it. Mm -mm. But there are a few counterpoints to be made, and the first kind of big issue was just how avid a skydiver McCoy was. And most people believe that Cooper was not. Maybe he was in the military, maybe he served in Vietnam, but he was most assuredly not 
an avid professional skydiver. If they were the same person, there's no way the first go-around McCoy picks a dummy chute and an unsteerable military one. Okay, maybe he picks the military one because he's more familiar with it. No way he picks a dummy chute. No chance. Also, the FBI, even though that picture looks pretty similar to the sketch, the FBI claimed there was a pretty big mismatch in his age and his description. Uh, they also found through a rather credible source that McCoy was actually... He was at home in Utah with his family for Thanksgiving. So, he... Ah, uh, yeah, that, that right there is probably the biggest alibi. Yeah, he so he couldn't have performed the Cooper Heist because he was with family enjoying Thanksgiving. So, more than likely, McCoy, just a copycat. He managed yep. to survive a somewhat similar jump, but... Yeah, just a copycat. In fairness, he did pull off the same heist. He just didn't get away with it. Yeah, he he basically did pull off the same thing. Although I don't remember what the weather conditions were like for um for McCoy. I'm not sure if it was like low visibility, freezing. Uh, I have to assume it was pretty close though, because they're flying in like the Denver, Utah area. So I mean, it gets pretty chilly up there. Um, so. It was also because of Dan Cooper and these copycat hijacks that it became standard for the Boeing 727 uh, to be equipped with a sort of like small, simple, aerodynamic, uh, it's kind of like this wedge plate, uh, and it would make opening the aft stairs mid-flight impossible. So basically, it's like this little sort of wedge flap thing, and if there's enough air pressure on this wedge, it sort of slides up and slides closed, and it blocks the aft stairs from opening. When the plane lands and the air pressure subsides, the wedge sort of slides back and, and lets the stairs be opened again. This device is called the Cooper Vane. And, and that's that's and, all and I that's, got. And, that, that's all, and that's where it ends, right that's, there. That's where it ends, Nobody's found him. Nobody knows if he survived. Uh, some knickknack paddywax has been found. Um, also, no, no body. No, only found like fifteen of the bills or whatever. Like, yeah, they found like five thousand dollars worth of the twenties. That's how much Brian Ingram found. It was like five thousand two hundred and seventy dollars worth of the two hundred thousand dollars. That's all that was found. Yeah, no, but like, like bones stay for a long time. It's true. Like, and like a parachute is big. It doesn't yep. just go away. Yep, yep. Um, I think hmm. I think they found a like they, they found a parachute that they thought was Cooper's, but then when they analyzed it, it turned out no, it was it was it was not Cooper's. It was from a different hijacking. Oh my and god. And I think I think that parachute actually led them to finding the hijacker of a completely separate hijacking. Um so yeah, they found nothing. Did he survive? Maybe. Did he die? Possibly. Who knows? Um, also, there are a shitload more suspects that uh, I didn't mention because, again, I only had three days and there's a fuckload of suspects. Um, so, but I, I thought McCoy was kind of the most interesting one. So I thought, you know, that'd be a, that'd be a cool one to sort of end it on. And, and the Cooper vein. And air security was completely changed because Cooper and, and these sort of copycat hijacks uh, kept using those goddamn stairs. So. D DK, I am genuinely angry. This was by far a more interesting and exciting episode than anything I have done in the past six months. <laughs> I, I I have been thoroughly outclassed by by both by by both your your uh, your your 
method of storytelling and your excitement in doing it. I think I've become a jaded man, and I need to fix this. <laughs> I need to get what? better at this. What do you mean? I, I, you're, I, you're I, the hallmark of I the team. genuinely think you could replace me easily. Easily. I the only difference know. is that I have I have the knowledge and I still get half my shit wrong. <laughs> I mean, I I bet you the comments are gonna be like, DK, you got so much stuff wrong and you left so much stuff out. So No, no, the comments no. gonna be like, holy shit, do more of these. DK was really good at it. Oh no. Yeah. We're doomed. We're doomed. We oh no, this was look, look, guys, this was just supposed to be a fucking April Fool's Day joke. This is I'm a really good episode. What the I'm fuck? Let me be real with you guys. This is a, this was supposed to be just a one time thing. Like I, I, I don't <clears throat> Yeah, I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna be a, I'm a fucking Cooper apologist also, apparently. <laughs> like just like damn, I hope he got away with it because that's cool. But also I bad, mean... but also cool. Yeah, like, I, I was talking to Shy about it, and she was like, yeah, I kind of hope Cooper got away with it, because, you know, I mean, it'd be so much more interesting if he just got away. And there's, there's nothing. They didn't even find the shoots. They didn't find the shoots. They didn't find, well, they found a little bit of the money. Uh, they didn't ever find a body. Um, like, on that Stuff You Know podcast, they were like, oh, yeah, there's this guy that had a theory that, uh, you know, Homeboy didn't even get a shoot open. Uh, he just kind of froze to death midair, and he hit the ground so fucking hard that he just, blap! was buried on impact with the shooting the money. <laughs> it's just he hit so hard that it was just thrust into the fucking Earth's crust. Um, but I think there would be a little bit of an indication of someone hitting the ground that fucking hard. Also, so. the ground is very hard. I don't think you would go too deep. Yeah, it's kind of hard to just be like, oh yeah, you hit so hard, buried. More like you just find a splattering of fucking blood and guts and bones all over the place. God yeah. damn it. I'm yeah. mad. D.B. Cooper. It's not even his Cooper. fucking name. This was <laughs> this was genuinely fucking fascinating. I am I am livid. <laughs> livid. I am Man's livid. Li I am livid. I was so into this. <laughs> fucking hell, man. I I I, I unironically thought when we when uh, Shy mentioned the April Fools episode that you were gonna show up and be like, let me tell you about this cat girl felony guardsman fan fiction or something. I expected pure curse, and I got a genuinely interesting story. <laughs> Is, have we missed our calling as like, who are those two dope ass dudes from that were from BuzzFeed and they made their own channel? Uh, oh yeah, that's um, um that's one of the uh, ones that I um I, I Shane, Shane to. Ryan, Shane Wait, Ryan, Watcher, Redwire Red or something? No, Watcher. That's oh, that's okay. the name I believe. Yeah, I uh, haven't heard of that one. And it's two guys. I think they used to be work for BuzzFeed, but not anymore. One of them is named Shane. He doesn't believe in ghosts at all, and the other guy does. Name Ryan does believe in ghosts. They go to like haunted shit, and <laughs> the guy who believes in ghosts freaked the fuck out. And the other guy is like, "Yeah, come on, kill me, ghosts, fucking pussies." <laughs> wow. It's that's it's that sounds like the most interesting premise ever. I it have is to genuinely that entertaining. It is so Let's good. Go. Yeah, it's never too late for truly ridic crimeless. Hmm? Adeptus Detecticus. <laughs> Adeptus, yes, yes. We can Fuck, be I, I, uh, inquisitors looking into crazy uh, inquisitorial bullshit. Yeah. I think I think we already have that. I think it's called Eisenhorn. Oh damn. Which is something we do need to read at some point. Maybe we we'll do that yeah. after Krieg. Oh shit! I need to read Krieg. I, uh, I spent Krieg the last too. three days just like literally looking up TV Cooper stuff, and now I'm like, oh shit, that's right. We have a book club. God damn, I've been so outclassed. Oh, man. Anyway, happy April Fool's, idiots. Get rotated. We're going back to 40K next week. Get rotated. Get rotated.